And I want to just continue sort of unpacking this whole concept of the book of Romans. Uh, the book of Romans is epic. I don't know if you grasp that. So that's why I just keep going over this part of it. But Paul is not writing to the Romans like he did in other places where he's addressing a specific issue, a specific malfunction or dysfunction. He's not doing that. What he's doing in Rome is he's telling them, listen, on my way to Spain, I want to come to you. I want to spend time with you. And so essentially what the book of Romans turns out to be is a sermon, albeit a long one. It is a sermon. It is the grand idea of the new covenant of God. It is everything we believe that excites us here at New Creation Church, that we talk about, that gets us up early in the morning and keeps us up late into the evening, is this whole concept of God's unmerited love and favor that comes to us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That is what Romans is all about. Um, Literally, the basis of all New Testament theology is found in this book. That's why it's such a high responsibility and an awesome privilege to even get to teach it. And that's why I'm enjoying it so much just for me. Now, remember, God used Romans to light a fire in the belly of a Roman Catholic priest... And you're going to see that verse today, Romans 1.17, when Martin Luther got a hold of that little phrase in the last part of that verse that says, the just shall live by faith. And he ch it changed the world. It started the Reformation. And I believe we are in need of a new Reformation. And that Reformation is to bring the revelation to the world and to the body of Christ specifically that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Because the religious people are clamping down on their rudiments and their methods and their processes and the 12 steps to this and the 9 keys to that and all of this crap that has held the church in captivity. And I'm telling you, if that revelation falls and begins to unlock in our hearts like it did in 1517, your life will change. Your church is changing now. And I'm telling you, this is not religion. This is not your grandma's little church with the flannel graph. This is unadulterated grace of God that is radically altering everything we used to think about our relationship with Jesus. Aren't you glad you came today? Amen. You can imagine how this went over at 8 o'clock, right? <laughs> Easy, dude. This is 8 o'clock service. We're glad to be here, but you just can't tell by our faces. <laughs> Let me read to you a quote by a guy named Robert Capon. It says, The epistle to the Romans has sat around in the church since the first century like a bomb ticking away the death of religion. And every time it's picked up, the ear-splitting freedom in it has gone off with a roar. The only sad thing is that the church as an institution has spent most of its time playing bomb squad and trying to defuse it. For your comfort, though, it can't be done. Your freedom remains as close to your life as Jesus and as available to your understanding as the nearest copy of Romans. So like Augustine, therefore, read it. He goes on to say, Compared to that explosion, the explosion of grace, the clap of doom sounds like a cat pistol. Friend, when we get this 
understanding on the inside of us that the greatest revelation the church will ever grasp isn't what's coming, but what's already happened. It will radically revolutionize the world. And that's the need. Our need is not the next greatest politician. Our, our need is not more people that think like you. What we need is people that believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That is the hope of the world. And guess what? You are the carriers of that hope. So, start thinking like it. Start acting like it. If you're saved and you know it, your face ought to show it. If you walk around like death sucking on a lifesaver, do not tell people you go to New Creation Church. Right? So, what I'd like to do is jump into chapter 1 of Romans. Now, we've kind of covered, this is our third, in, third installment. Uh, so, we've had two already. And we took just the first few verses and then we got up, I think, all the way to verse number 7 last week. Um... So Paul sort of introducing himself and, and sort of laying the foundation for what's about to happen here. And if you want to see those, you can go check out the website. But let me pick it up in verse 8. And we're going to go all the way to verse 17. And he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And on Wednesday night a few weeks ago, we did sort of a contrast between Paul and James and how a lot of grace preachers today... Uh, say that James didn't have a revelation of grace and that you really shouldn't re even read it or waste time with it. I find that very troubling and dangerous because what are you going to throw out next? So if we can't trust James, what can we trust? So it doesn't make sense to me. So if what we did is work systematically through that argument and dismantle it and show you that they're really saying the same thing. James, because we believe all scriptures inspired by the Spirit of God, so James was being led by the Holy Ghost when he wrote, Faith without works is dead. Uh, and so we got into all that was really being said in those verses. So notice if the Romans' faith is being spoken of throughout the whole world, and we know that faith is in its most common form what you believe, and right believing produces right living, uh, then what they're talking about is... Yes, what they believe, but able to see it by what they do. Now, again, that is not proving your faith. Because a couple of ways that you can really torpedo this whole concept of faith is two ways, uh, at least two, let's say for today's discussion. And that is to, one, tell people they've got to prove their faith. Because now what you've got is a graceless religion that requires you to do something. And that's not what this is. The other way to mess this up is to tell people that God is sovereign and you don't have to have faith at all. And indeed, you do have to have faith. So that's it. You know, then, you have a, a, then you have a faithless philosophy when you tell people, well, you don't have to have faith. Everybody's saved because of this, that, or the other. But let me tell you something. This whole thing begins for you and I when we believe. And in uh, Romans 10, 17, it says that um, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So even in the requirement for faith, God provides it. Because how does it come? By the word of God. And you didn't provide that, he did. So the law always makes demands on us, but grace always uh, provides what the requirement is. And that's the difference. So the law demands and grace imparts or gives freely. Um... Okay, so let's move on here. 
Number nine. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayer, making request if by some means, not at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. So he's trying desperately to get there, and so he's sending this letter ahead of him, saying all of this that I'm telling you now in all 16 chapters, I'm going to preach to you again when I get there. And this is the problem the church has today. It's like, okay, okay, I get it. God loves me completely. Now let's move on to the Antichrist. Right? The church kind of, okay, we've heard enough about Jesus. Let's talk about anti-Jesus. Okay, we've heard enough about God. Let's talk about the devil for a while because that really excites me, man. Because God's going to come back one day and he's going he's to burn up everybody that doesn't look like me and think like me and dress like me and vote like me. And that's not what this is about. Paul says the same thing in about a thousand different ways. The New Testament hammers, reiterates the same thing a thousand different ways. So we're going to say the same thing in a thousand different ways because it is the revelation of what Jesus has done for us. Because let me tell you something, you are not what you've done. You are what he's done. Let me say that again because some of you may be on Twitter and that sounds like a pretty good tweet to me. <laughs> you are not what you have done. You are, however, if you have faith in Him, what He has done. And that's who you are. And that's hard for us to grasp. Because we're so accustomed to beating ourselves to a pulp because we're not perfect. And see, we understand God is perfect and we understand we're not. And herein lies the challenge that we have. So we're constantly, each of us is constantly pushing back on this unbelief because we know that we're not good enough. And the enemy's always there to nitpick. And, of course, there's always religious people around that, to try to tell you that you've got to earn something from God. But like Will had said when he was up here, his life has dra drastically changed. I'm sure yours has too, and certainly mine has too. So somewhere in there, in our doing better, it's easy to get confused that now we don't talk like we did. Now we don't, you know... Uh, use money like we did, you know, because we're doing the Dave Ramsey thing with the staff, and 52% and of the church is divorced. And the largest majority of those divorces amongst Christians happen because of money. So what if we learned how to manage that and direct that and rule over that and not have money rule over us? So money is a big part of our faith because we have not done as good as maybe we should have in the natural with that stuff. So it's interesting to think about those things. But here's what I'm talking about. What happens is now, you know, we have children that do well. We have a business that succeeds. We have this and that going well. And it's easy to kind of fall over into this idea that, oh, this is about me and what I'm doing. And, and God is blessing what I'm doing. Well, you know, God blesses you because he loves you, but it's in spite of what you do most of the time. You know, these two young Marines up here, uh, I mean, my son, stand up, you guys. They both graduated on Friday. Thank you. And uh, in the same platoon, and, and uh, uh, Ridge is from Highland, so they live close, and they've been coming to church now. And uh, so we're happy to have them as part of the family. But I'd love to take credit for that. But that happened in spite of me. Right? And so it's easy, though, to get that confused 
that somehow all that happens in our life is somehow related to what we do. See, the way to look at it is what we do is all related back to what he already did. And that's the beautiful thing is that in your darkest hour, you're blessed. In your most insecure moment, you're loved. And your father can do anything but leave you and fail you. He loves you in spite of you, and that's the hardest thing to grasp. You are not what you've done. That is not your identity. You are, in fact, what he has done. That is your identity. Let's move on here in verse, uh, verse 10. Verse 11, rather. And here we see sort of the, really the foundation of what doing is all about. He says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. That I may be able to give you something, to impart something to you, to, 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 to transfer something to you, so that we can both mature and grow through our mutual faith. You know, on Wednesday night, we're going to have uh, Papa Ron DeVore, Mama Shirley, his wife. We call them that uh, affectionately. Uh, 27 years ago, he was a successful engineer in Seattle. He had a heart for missions. He had a longing. See, through the relationship with Jesus, what will happen in your heart is you'll develop a longing to give away what you've been given. That's what this is about. That's why for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Love propels into generosity, into compassion, into all these areas of life. And so Paul is longing to get there so he can impart to them something that he's been given from God. And when that settles on us, we'll be a people that are generous and giving because it's just the natural response to that love. So Ron DeVore, he was 50 years old up in Seattle, uh, probably 49, roughly my age. And he had this desire to go to the mission field, so he and his wife had planned to go to Europe. How many of you know God's glad you got a plan, but it doesn't really matter to him what your plan is? So this young African man came up to him and said, hey, listen, I had a vision, and you are the man in my vision, and you're going to go to Africa with me and plant the church in my village. And he said, son, you got the wrong, you know, Mzungu. You got the wrong white man. He stepped past him and walked away. And so the young African man is confused. He saw this man in his vision, or in his dream. And so that next week, a few days pass, he goes to the office of one of his instructors. And he goes, listen, God is telling me to go back to my village and start a church, but I don't know how. So you need to send somebody with me to go help me. And the, and the, the leader said, okay, I got just the guy. He makes a phone call, and in walks the same man he saw in the parking lot at church <laughs> just a few days ago. And so Ron DeVore says, okay, God, you got my attention. So they, the next year, moved to Uganda with this young man and his wife and lived... Now, this man's got a big family and a successful business. Moved and lived in a shipping container 24 feet long and lived in half of it because the African man and his wife lived on the other side and lived in that container for two years. Now he's 77. Planted over 200 churches with this African son and many others. And you've met several of their sons already. He'll be here Wednesday night with one of his sons who's from Seattle that's helping transition him over to the younger generation. Now he's, he's lived his life, you know. But he still has a longing for Africa. He's got so many, hundreds upon hundreds of sons and daughters. And his kids here are like, Dad, Mom, you know, you've been in Africa most of the last 
almost 30 years. Why don't you retire here? But they have a longing to go back. And so they'll still continue to split time as long as physically they can. But they'll be here Wednesday night. I want you to hear about that longing that they had that propelled them to go and the longing that this younger generation uh, has as well. But see, this is what's propelling Paul into the nations. That's why he said, listen, I'm working more abundantly than all these people. Not me, but the grace of God with me. It's God's ability propelling me forward. I sat with a grown man in my office a couple of weeks ago who began to weep tears over me because he's afraid I'm too extended. I said, man, I, I hear you. And, I, and thank God, God gave me a wife that won't put up with me being overextended. But I've never been more energized. Never been more excited and fulfilled with ministry. And it's not me. It's the grace of God on me. I wish I had one of the books. But, but uh, we have a, an audio book. Finished our first one last week that are going to be on sale on our website. So our author, one of the authors in this church read the book, we did all the, the technical editing and put it all together, about 27 or so chapters, and you'll be able to buy it if you commute. You can listen to this Christian novel in your car on the way to work to L.A. or wherever you drive to. And we've created now a, an arm of the ministry that gives an outlet to you writers, to you nerdy people that like to edit writing. We love you. And to the technical people that can do all that, record it, edit it, and put it all together. And then the, the media people that did the art and did all that. And it's a little, looks like a business card and it flips out and it's a USB. Or you can download it to your Kindle or you can download the audio link to your, you know, tablet or whatever. But we're just dreaming big. We don't have any money. But we're just dreaming big. You know, not for those kinds of things, but we just start where we are with what we've got. And we just move forward. We started that whole thing with a $500 Apple computer I bought on eBay and a $100 Blue Yeti microphone from Amazon.com. And away we went. So what are you doing, or not doing rather, that's in your heart to do, but you just have talked yourself out of the ability to do it? What is that thing? What is that dream? Dream the dream. Stop living a riskless life because it will pass you by. You know, I walked off a parade deck like my son did last Friday 27 years ago. And where has it gone, you know? I mean, thank God I'm doing what I love, but it goes by like that. You know, I'll turn around again and I'll be with Jesus. And so will you. So what will we do now with what we have to change the world around us? What is our dream? So he's longing to be with them, that he may be encouraged together with them. You know, I have a friend who ushers the first service, and, you know, and he's not really involved in any other part of ministry, but I love the guy. He's a friend of mine, and he's a studier, right? So I said, hey, I'd like to sit with you and let you teach me what you've learned about the grace of God. And, you know, just because I'm the pastor doesn't mean I'm not learning from other people uh, and other people that aren't pastors, we are encouraged together by our mutual faith. That's what's so beautiful about it. Moving on now, he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan to come to you, verse 13, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. And then gets to the last two verses, and this what is what turned Martin Luther upside down, or right side up, rather. Uh, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation, watch this, for everyone who does all the right stuff. Wait a minute. For everyone who goes to the right church. No, wait a minute. To everyone who has a pastor that wears a robe and a collar. No. To everyone that believes. 
See, that's why it's good news to everybody. In the gospel, it's good news to everybody. Because in the gospel, the bad get the best, the worst inherit the wealth, and the slave becomes a son. And that's good news. And that's why good people and religious people, I should say, struggle with it because it can't be that easy. Religious people act like if Jesus plus nothing gets out into the world, the whole thing will come unraveled at the scene. Well, guess what? It's already unraveled at the seam because they put that revelation away and tried to disarm it and tried to tell you, well, you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful with that. People will run off and you won't be able to control them. That's the point. That's not my job to control anybody. Watch this now. For the Jew first, also the Greek, just his way of saying it's to everybody. For in it, the gospel, the good news of Christ. Notice it says the gospel of Christ. The anointed one, implying his anointing. Isaiah says the anointing breaks the yoke of bondage and the chains of slavery. And listen to me, there's an anti-Christ spirit in the earth because of that reason. Because if the devil can come against the Christ then guess what happens? The gospel loses its power. And there's not an anti-Buddha spirit in the earth. There's not an anti-Krishna spirit. And there's not even an anti-Mohammed spirit in the earth uh, because we heard our own president on the day of national prayer condemn Christians for something that happened in the 1700s and refuse to talk about what's happening today. Now that's not a political thing. That's just a fact. And he's not our problem. Understand this. Our enemy is not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and the spirit of anti-Christ. And if you're talking anti-Christ, you're talking about anti-gospel, anti-good news. Because without Christ, there's no good news. And the gospel is good to everybody all the time. Not a little good and a lot of bad. Not a little of this and you've got to do this, this and that. That is not gospel. And you need to run away from that mess if you're feeding on it because it will hinder and hamper your development as a believer and as an individual. It will lock you into bondage. It's an anti-Christ spirit and that's what it's about. Now watch this verse 17. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And it's revealed, the gospel, the good news is revealed to us from faith to faith. Not from unbelief to faith. Not from failure to faith. But it begins with a belief that Jesus is God. That Jesus is the living God. That He raised from the dead on the third day. And it begins there. And then He takes you to more faith. Literally in the Greek it means from faith to more faith. I don't know about you, but I've had this thought before. God, shouldn't I be further along than this? Because every time you're having to believe for a miracle, it's like the first time you ever did, right? When, when, when you needed the light bill paid or whatever it was. And he's like, That's, but the point, son, is that this is a relationship of faith. And you go from faith to more faith. And faith to faith. And the Bible says from glory to glory. And that's how he leads us. And the just, those that are justified, not just... So we need to understand the terminology here. So the justified, which is us in Christ, will live by faith in Him. What does that mean? In faith in the finished work. Live in faith, in belief, in firm persuasion that what He did on the cross was enough. That's the gospel. And that's powerful. 
So this is not a graceless religion or a faithless philosophy, but this is a relationship with Jesus. So let me give you three things about faith here before our time runs out. Number one, faith is relational. Faith is relational. The definition of a relational is concerning the way in which two or more people or things are connected. We are connected to him by faith. That's why to tell people you don't need faith is a lie. And, of course, we know that's the way to salvation. Paul told the Philippian jailer to believe on the Lord Jesus. To believe means faith. So faith is relational. It connects us to him. That's how this works. We have faith in him, and that's what allows us to receive the grace. We are saved by grace through faith and not of works. Right? Unless any of us get the big head and think it's because of what we do that that we've gotten here. I love this song. The first service we ever had as a church 11 years ago this month was, I found Jesus. And you know, God loved us anyhow. But we didn't find him. He pursued us. He chased us. He was after us. We didn't have a chance because he was on us, man. He followed us down every rat hole we ever been down and loved us all the way, even before we were Christians, because the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. And here's how you know the church has a problem. When the world is running to the church and church people are running to the church. When, when the world is running from the church, I think I misspoke that. When the world is running from the church and church people are running to the church, it's because church as an institution, we're busy making sure the water is the proper pH and we scoop out the little things and we sprinkle the food in and we're tending the aquarium, forgetting that we are called to be fishers of men. I don't care if church people don't like this church. I don't care if church people don't like this church. Because you know who's coming? The people of the world that have yet to hear Jesus paid the price for you. That's what I want in this church. I want to have the residue of the sheep in this church. I want Jesus to be able to walk in with his muddy, bloody feet onto the carpet in this church. Now, we won't let you bring your coffee in, but we'll let Jesus walk in. (laughs) Right? So faith is relational. Listen to this, John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. The right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So to believe in his name means that you are now a child and you have a right to be a child of God. Nobody could ever tell you different. Number two, faith is experiential. It is experiential. I know we get nervous talking about experiences in church, but we're going to have a good one or a bad one no matter what. So faith then becomes after we, we have the relationship, then guess what? We have certain experiences. My wife and I have been married 22 years. Uh, this be 23 this year, later this year. And we've had experiences along the way. We started. We thought we were in love. We began a relationship in faith in that love, but then we realized, man, it gets way better. (laughs) I mean, we don't look as good as we did back then, but things are better than they were back then. You know what I'm saying? So anyway. Watch this. Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. Watch this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, 
And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Remember, God told him to lay down and, and, and sacrifice his son uh, on the mountain there, Mount Moriah. And so he did so, uh, or at least attempted to, and then God stopped him. And watch this. The reason he could do it is, is found in verse 19, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Meaning, uh, it could be two things, and I think it could be both of them, that maybe he had a vision of God raising Isaac from the dead, so he had perfect peace that whatever God wanted, God could, could have, right? But the other thing is this, is that he had already seen God raise that boy from the dead, from the deadness of his loins and the deadness of his mama's womb. And he had already been back from the dead before he ever got started. So when God says, hey, I want you to give me all you got, someday, sometime, God will ask you for your dream. And I believe this happened for us a few Thursday nights ago when we got denied by the bank. In our tears, in our heartbreak, in our frustration with the whole process, I believe God said, are you willing to lay this dream down because I'm about to kick the door off of a better one. And ever since that day, we've had opportunity. The next day, I walked in the office and Pastor Juan said, there's a young lady that's planning to have an abortion and she wants a meeting to have a sonogram. The very next day, things begin to open up with the home. I mean, in two weeks, we've got nine guys. We're getting three more in the next two days and we're turning people away in droves. Because the Holy Spirit is drawing people to the light and the truth that if you really want to be different, if you really want to be who God called you to be, then this investment of the next year of your life and the leading of the Holy Spirit will establish that in your life. Sometimes you have to get out. You need an extreme to get you out of the rut you're in. And that's what this home is going to be. And homes, multiple. We're waiting to hear back on a, on a property we've offered on out in, in Cabazon. Uh, this week so we'll see what happens with that and God's in control I'm not tripping about none of it but faith is experiential watch this number three and lastly faith is substantial that means it's got tangibility it's got substance you know uh, Hebrews 11.1 1 there says faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen so let's take a look at there watch this but look how it starts we sometimes miss how it starts now faith is Faith is always in the present. Faith is always where you are. It's not was or will be, even though it was and will be. But now, faith is. Is where? Wherever you need a miracle. Wherever you're calling on God. Wherever your prayer is, help me, Lord. Now, faith is. The substance of the things we expect, based on God's word, that's what that word hope means, and the evidence of things you can't see. That's why when you start speaking faith over your life, your religious relatives will think you've lost your mind. Well, you know, I think he's in denial. <laughs> I'm not in denial. I'm not denying what is in the natural, but I'm telling you what is already in the spiritual, even though I can't see it. I'm healed in Jesus' name. You know, it reminds me of a story by, uh, about a man named Smith Wigglesworth. He preached the gospel in the early parts of the 1900s over in, in England. The man couldn't read. He could not read, but he could read the Bible. And he always carried a New Testament around with him. And, um, you know, this man raised the dead at least a dozen times in his ministry. And different things. He was just a miracle-believing guy. He just believed his God could do anything. So uh, the story goes that he was staying in the home of this family, doing a little series of meetings, four or five nights, and he stayed in the couple's master bedroom. 
And um, he finished the meetings. The next morning, he got up, packed his little suitcase. He walked out of the house, down the sidewalk. And the lady starts running after him. She said, Brother Wigglesworth, you can't leave yet. My husband's not yet a Christian. He said, well, just don't change the sheets. She said, okay. So she didn't change the sheets. So that night, in the middle of the night, her husband just woke up and he it was like fire ants all over him he said I don't know something's on me something's wrong with me I don't know what's happening she said well brother Wigglesworth told me not to change the sheets <laughs> the man got out of bed got on his knees and gave his life to Jesus the tangibility now you might think oh that's a bunch of garbage fine whatever you think but this is what I think I think that there's something in my life and there's a tangibility there's something on me that can be transferred Paul said, I long to impart something that I've got to you. He laid hands on napkins, on, on, on towels, and they sent them out and laid the towel on sick folks, and sick folks got better. Blind people could see because a man named Paul, just a guy like you, a guy like me, believed there was a tangibility, a, 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 a substance to his faith that he could give away, that he could... And, and when I don't know people, particularly if, they, if I think they'll get freaked out if, they, if I say, hey, can I pray for you? You know? I think the Pope would even have a problem. It's like, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? I'd like you not to. <laughs> we can be a little overwhelming, Right? I'll just go up and just put my hand on somebody and talk to them. I just believe something's happening. I believe there's a transference going on that has nothing to do with me, but everything to do with the God I serve. I believe in the substance of what we believe. I believe in the substance of the gospel. And I believe that if we believe that, then our life will change all around us. There's a tangibility to this stuff. Watch this. We're going to conclude with this. In Romans 117b, the portion of one scripture that changed the entire religious world, the just shall live by faith. We need a reformation, and that reformation will come in our own lives when we step back into the truths found in this book and recognize that redemption is by faith in Jesus. Forgiveness forever is by faith in Jesus. Knowing assuredly that you're going to spend eternity in heaven when you do die. Not because of what you've done that's so good, but because what he did and it's finished. That revelation will change you and then it will begin to change the world around you. And I'm telling you, I had a lady right here after last service in tears tell me, I was raised like you. I came out of the faith movement, you know, confess and, and all this stuff. And, and all of it's not bad. I'm not saying it is. But she said, this teaching has radically changed me. And all I can do is cry because I see the, the Word of God in a whole new way from a different perspective, not of what I've got to do, not because of what's required of me now, but what's been made available to me through the Word of grace. And she said, I'm so grateful that I'm here. And it becomes something you just want to give away. It's so easy to talk to people about Jesus then because everybody wants to know that God loves them, but they've just never been taught it in church. So if you walk out of church, this church, ever, and you're more focused on what did Jesus, or what would Jesus do, than what has Jesus done, then you shoot me an email, because that means I didn't do my job. Because I don't want you focused on what would Jesus do. Because you'll be like him the more you recognize you are like him.
But if you focus on what has Jesus done, then the living of that truth won't be an issue. That will not be your problem because your life will follow that belief. Amen? Let's give the Lord a shout today. Let's pray, and I'm going to turn.